Welcome to Britpop Movies of a Certain Age. This is episode four, and today we will be looking at Some People, a movie from 1962. And as usual, we're going to start with a synopsis. So over to you, Matthew. Okay, once again, fingers in ears. If you don't want any spoilers, although it's been out since 1962, so where have you been? Well, probably sitting watching Talking Pictures TV. I think it's stuck in a room. Well, that's very true. Yes, they find me like Miss Havisham. Um, (laughs) After a game of chicken near Clifton Suspension Bridge goes awry, teenage Bristolian bikers Bert, Bill and Johnny end up in court and are each lucky to escape with driving bans and a fine. After a period bumming around and causing trouble, musically inclined Johnny and Bert are taken under the wing of kindly choirmaster Mr. Smith and, with his encouragement, join the Duke of Edinburgh's award scheme and form a band which includes Bill's girlfriend Terry, whilst Johnny romances Mr. Smith's daughter Anne. Bill, on the other hand, goes full delinquent, falls in with a biker gang, turns on his old friends and smashes up the church hall and with it, all of the band's equipment. He's gone native! He's gone native in Irwin! Native in Bristol. <laughs> Ooh, that, that, that is different. Yeah. Um, dejected and feeling responsible for the fracas, Johnny wanders around Bristol once again with nothing to do and one, runs into his usually distant dad in a pub where they bond over a drink and his father encourages him to play the pub piano. Emboldened, Johnny tracks down Bill and after a scuffle in a skating rink, the two boys tentatively reconcile. Returning to the now-repaired church hall, Johnny approaches Mr Smith, who encourages him to return to his friends where he is warmly welcomed and the music of the band is heard again. Meanwhile, at Bristol bus station, another teenager hangs around aimlessly. The end. Superb. (coughs) Right, well, there you go. Uh, Did you enjoy the movie? Well, let's say, let's say it's 1962 and you yourself are at a loose end, say in Bristol, say in a city, and we want to th- maybe thinking about going to see a movie. So we're wandering around and there's a number of cinemas in town. We wander around and we walk past one that has a poster out the front, a vivid orange, red and white poster that bears the legend, they were young, bored rebels living for kicks. And features a picture <laughs> of some leather-clad trousers, tight-fitting leather-clad trousers, winkle-pitious shoes, and holding an electric guitar. Which looks very much like an Egmond. It does look very guitar, much like an Egmond. You'd have Egmond all over your face, probably. But they, they, <laughs> you, you would imagine you were in for... Ha- reading that, you'd imagine you are in for something like the Wild One. You imagine yeah, you yeah, were yeah. in for Hell's Angels on Wheels. At the very least, at the very least, some James Dean style. Exactly, you think you'd be in for some James Dean angst, and you know, uh, (laughs) you're tearing me apart, sort of stuff. (laughs) At the very least, and you know, and maybe Marlon Brando or Lee Marvin with motorcycle chains, something like that. You know, with with something along those lines. Yeah, what you get is actually quite a nice little domestic drama (laughs) about a handful of teenagers in Bristol trying to sort their lives out. And and also and in the process joining the Duke of Edinburgh Award Scheme, which is a, a fine organisation for young people <laughs> to do such just such a thing <laughs> and forming a band on the way. It's it's a it's a very nice, very sweet little movie, really. And um, but it is not the movie that you're being sold by the poster. It, but no, it, no, absolutely not. But it but it's I thought I thought it was um, very nice. I've seen it a couple of times now, and I was unaware of it. I I um. I only really heard about it about two or three years ago 
And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's. Uh, I only heard uh, heard of it uh, in the last couple of years for sure. Yeah. yeah. And which surprises me, especially as it's... Uh, I mean, we're broadcasting to you from the West Country here. Yeah. Um, and we, we, both of us, live not a million miles away from Bristol itself. No, and, and regularly go into Bristol. Yeah, regularly. Yeah. Like, yeah, regularly. Sometimes to spend money that we haven't got on guitars. And, um, and <laughs> we... <laughs> um, it's true. It's, it's true, true. Yeah, it's true, you know. It burns a hole in my pocket, you know. And... Um, so it's a city I'm familiar with, and you'd think that a film entirely set in the city, you know, from a classic era, shot in beautiful Eastman colour with a great cast of well-known faces or soon-to-be well-known faces from the time period, we would have heard of and and would have been much more well-known as it is. It's, um, an, it's a lovely little film, I think. It's maybe not the greatest movie ever, but as, as a little slice-of-life picture... And with a wonderful cast, I, I did enjoy it, and I thought it was a, a lovely film, and I think I first saw it on Talking Pictures. Um, yeah. Uh, Talking Pictures TV in Britain. And, um, yeah, I, I did like it, and it's, it's not the greatest movie, and maybe it doesn't quite transcend the sum of its parts. I think probably its roots in publicising the Duke of Edinburgh Award scheme, which we'll probably get to later on, um, show through quite a lot and maybe stymie it a little bit what could have yeah. just been a straight drama. But for all that, it's an enjoyable little movie. It's an engaging little movie and with a wonderful cast and a little in aspic, um, not not just Britain in pre-Beatles, pre-swinging 60s, but Bristol in, itself, which is quite unusual in this, mm. in this era. Mm. And it's a valuable time capsule with a wonderful cast. Yeah, I mean, I I echo those sentiments. I think it's as a historical piece that I enjoyed it most. Mm. Uh, I wasn't expecting too much of it no. uh, because I did I did see from the clip that uh, of them playing the music that this was not cutting edge <laughs> music we were seeing no. here. That it we're was not, not going to be not going to be too rebellious. And with Kenneth Moore at the heart of it, you mm. know that it's not going to be too far away from wholesome. So I think. Uh, mm. That uh, coupled with the Duke of Edinburgh Award, you you would imagine that it was going to be reasonably middle ground. But I, yes. I agree with you entirely about the poster. It's 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 really rock and roll, <laughs> uh, and the film is really not. Um, but I think it was better than it had a right to be. Absolutely. Uh, and I know lots of people would find it an absolute anathema that you know it would just not be their thing at all uh, because. You know, it's not particularly gritty. And if you're not interested in the characters and if you're not interested in music mm. and if you're not interested in youth culture, then it's going to be a, a bore. It's not deep enough. The the uh, the whole characterizations and the storyline is not deep enough mm. to take you any further than that. No. But I think it's done really well. It has a sort of semi-documentary feel, yes. which I like on it. So there was a lot of improvised and ad-libbed work on the movie yes. from all the ensemble. And it was obviously done in that style. Mm. We'll come to the director later and, and yeah. various protagonists that would suggest that they had that in mind right from the, the start, mm. that mm. they were going to have lots of improvisation. Mm. Mm. But that gives it a sort of down-to-earth feel and by and large, with a few clunky moments, succeeds. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, 
you mentioned the Eastman colour. I love Eastman colour. I mean, it, it, it is very much of its time. It's a time capsule now, but it renders really well to high definition. Yes. So we're watching this now on these big widescreen TVs in high definition, and it renders really beautifully. Mm. And, of course, as you mentioned before, it's lovely to see places that I'm very familiar with in, in Bristol as they were in 1962, and just look at those. I, I love history anyway. Mm. So from a purely historical point of view, it's really good. And it does, at the heart of it, have a very young cast of up-and-coming actors who were pretty much all, well, no, without exception, all going on to really good careers. Yes. Or, you know, they were they were at the start of a journey which for some of them lasted many, many years and for some of them peaked and, and dipped. Yeah. Uh, within sort of 15 years. But the, the, it's a very, very talented cast yeah. and that's the, involved in it. And almost without exception, they all became faces of the swinging 60s. You know, this, certainly this did, film yeah. was made in the just in 62, which is the, uh, the year the Beatles were signed. They didn't really yeah. make it big till the next year. But, but, no. but this is just on the cusp of the 60s starting to swing. But not ha- hasn't uh, happened it's, yet. It's still very much the, the fag end of the 50s they're living in. It, it's, it's very much... Not the swinging sixties. This film, it's the it's the rocking sixties. Yes. So there's a very rock and roll feeling to the way that they portray the youth. So Teddy boys, yes. leather clad, lots bikers, of mentions of Teddy boys, isn't there? And, and jeans, jeans with roll, rolled up jeans. Yes. You know, winkle picker shoes, winkle picker shoes, quiffy haircuts. It, it, yeah. Yeah, quiffy haircuts. So this is definitely pre Beatles, and with no hint that that sort of culture is on the way <laughs> so it's it's a it's a it's a lovely little historical time capsule and i really enjoyed it yeah so let's move on to the cast now yes and, uh, i think we have to start with the uh the duke of tweed himself <laughs> uh, uh kenneth, moore. kenneth moore because he was obviously the name actor yeah that they were you know selling the movie on the, yeah, the box office draw. Yeah. He would have been, yeah, and he would have been one of our biggest stars at the time. Maybe slightly just after his peak, he'd he'd really he, he, hit big in the mid to late fifties, hadn't he? He, he uh, was on the turn. He was on the turn. He'd been left out of the fridge for a yeah, sort but, of half a day. He was just starting. But like to some of that milk yeah. I had this morning in my tea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, knew I should have gone down the shop. So Kenneth Moore would have been about what forty six, forty seven. Yeah, this point he would have been. Yeah, prime of his life. career, prime of life. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and of course, he had had a stellar career. Starting in the what late forties, yeah, and mainly in the fifties, he he was a household became a household name in in the fifties, and really was one of Britain's big stars and big reliable box office draws during the fifties. Yeah, his I mean probably his his, well he made a number of great films, but his biggest role was probably Reach for the Sky in nineteen fifty six, playing Douglas. Yeah, I would say I would say his breakthrough movie was Genevieve. Yes, he'd been in lots of stuff before then, but he had a really good run. Genevieve, Admiral Crichton. The mm. first Doctor in the house. Yes, of course. Yeah, with Dirk Bogard. Yeah. James yeah, Robinson. I saw him in one on Talking Pictures TV with uh, Joan Collins as well, which was rather nice. Oh, my, yes. uh, my Girl Friday. Okay. But as you say, Rich for the Sky, Sink the Bismarck, Night to Remember, Longest mm. Day. A lot of a lot of big movies. Quite a lot of military movies. Yeah, he was that it, sort, wasn't he? He was that sort of officer he class. Was. Avuncular officer kind of character, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and he had an easy charm mm. about him, sort of unflustered, uh, sort of upright British values, p- particularly 
post-war, pre-swinging 60s British values. Yeah. Reliable, isn't it? It's reliable, competent, pipe-smoking, tweed-wearing, cardigan-clad British. But, but with a twinkle in his eye, yes. with a twinkle in his eye as well. And there was another film around about this time, and this was when he'd... He just dipped over. So if we say mm. some people, it's just when he's starting to go mm. over the hill yeah. of, the, of his peak. Yes. The Comedy Man is a couple of years later in 1964. Okay. And it's a really good, bittersweet movie. Mm. And it stars him as a, a, as a jobbing actor okay. who's put his foot in his mouth once too often. He's starting to struggle to get the work, which was actually in part way true of Kenneth yeah. Moore. There was a reason for that. And it was as a result of this very movie, some people... Mm. that his career did dip a little bit because yeah. one of his co-stars here yeah. is uh, the, I think, 20-year-old Angela Douglas. And she yeah. and the 46, 47-year-old Kenneth Moore, already married Kenneth Moore in 1962, um, began an affair uh, yeah. that resulted in Moore leaving his wife and marrying the much younger uh, Angela Douglas. It was a it was a bitter six year and, process though. Yeah, it was. Uh, it took a long he only time. married Angela Douglas in sixty eight. So mm. yeah, it was it was a hard thing, and and as you rightly say, it it very much damaged his yeah. uh, reputation uh, because he'd hung his hat on being an upright. Mm. Yes, know, with with the values we we mentioned yeah. alluded to earlier. Mm. This didn't tally with that at all. Interestingly, uh, Angelus Douglas was in uh, The Comedy Man as well. Ah, OK. So, yes. so a couple of years later, she's playing opposite... Well, she's she's one of his uh, interests in that. Norman Rossington's in it. Billy Whitelaw's his oh. main love interest yes, in yes. it. Yes, yes. The excellent Billy Whitelaw. Dennis mm. Price is in it. Yes. Frank Finley's in it. So it's a really good... I watched good, him in a film last night, really Frank good, Finley. Really good film. And someone we mentioned earlier, Freddie Mills. Oh, so we mentioned him on Freddie Mills way back. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Back in, in, um, in episode two, I think we mentioned yes, it was him for two, yes. uh, for six, five, six five special. special. Yeah. Anyway, uh, well worth seeing. If you haven't seen the Comedy Man, it's a good film. Yes, he did struggle yeah, later yeah. on in his career, but uh, sort of came back with the Foresight Saga. He did. Yeah, the Foresight Saga in was it sixty seven? One of the last yeah. big, great black and white TV serials that the BBC made before the full switch to yeah. colour. Yeah, huge, huge hit. He also appeared in Scrooge. My son oh, yes. is obsessed with the Christmas Carol. So every Christmas we watch about seven Christmas Carol different Seven different versions, versions well, of, seven, yes. Quite a few different versions of the Christmas Carol. Mm. One of his favourites is the musical version written by the brilliant Leslie Brickus. Leslie Brickus, yes. Without who, who I'm sure will come into our orbit at some point in this oh, inevitably, uh, yes. series. He has to, yeah. uh, if, if only for connections to Tony Newley. Yes. But uh, uh, he played... The Ghost of Christmas Present in he it. Did. And so I like life, life <laughs> likes me. And he does a good job yes. at the heart of this yeah, film. Playing the he's choir really master nat- who helps turn the, 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 the kids' lives around, doesn't he? Yeah, and he is. He's really natural. Mm. Uh, and you, you don't think about him, he does, which is his job, is mm. to just keep... He's the conduit and he just keeps everything sort of rolling... But, along, but so. he's not, he's not um, wrong-footed at all by the sort of the improvisatory dialogue all around him. No, not at all, not um, at all. And I'm guessing he's, most of his dialogue is scripted, but the, the little scene um, with his daughter played by Annika Wills, where she's shrinking yeah, in her, the bathroom. Shrinking her yeah. jeans in the bathroom, and he's yeah. there just riffing off her, and that feels sort of just natural and improvised. 
It's a lovely natural little scene between a father and his and his teenage daughter. He holds his own there. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe I shouldn't say that. No, uh, no, no. <laughs> Anakin rules in the bath. I'd hold my own. His, <laughs> his hands, his hands are in safe places during yeah, the whole scene. Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> Moving yeah. on, should we move on to Ray Brooks? Ray Brooks, and he's on the brink of a, a really interesting and for a few years. Um, quite important career. For a few yeah. years, he'll be one of the most important young actors in, in Britain. He's very good in this. Yes. He's, he's, he's assured mm. uh, and he's likeable yeah. and he's watchable. I guess Ray Brooks is the, is the main lead of the, of the four kids. Of uh, the young, yeah, of the well, young well, five, crowd. Five main, five main kids in the, in the movie. Of the rebels very much without a cause. Yeah. <laughs> he, is, uh, he is the taciturn focal point. Centre yeah. focal point, isn't he? Yeah. He's not wrong-footed he with a Bristol accent like, like one or two of the actors. No, here, no, here his accent's okay. Yeah, yeah, his accent's okay. His is the journey that we're following from reckless youth to sort of upstanding young man. And he'd, really. he'd just come out of Play It Cool, the Billy he Fury He has, he'd movie. been with Billy Fury yeah. and the ensemble yep. cast. And thank goodness, because there, there, there's a few good actors, luckily, in Play It Cool, because Billy Fury, bless him, for, for all his, all his <laughs> talent as a performer and a songwriter and, and one of our pioneering yeah. rock and rollers, um, yeah. acting perhaps, should we say, it was not really his strongest suit. No. Uh, old no. Billy. Well, we'll come, to, we'll come to Play It Cool. We will, uh, we will probably, which is Michael... A Michael Winner directed. Michael Winner directed, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, quite yeah. a sickly little film. I quite like Michael Winner's sixties movie. He's probably not the most passionate. Oh, say, really, really, yeah. There's a few connections era. in this to him, but yeah, no, I like him. I think he he started out well. He just became <laughs> a caricature of himself. Really, he did. Didn't he? He just come out play it cool, yeah. and was of course just about to make the knack. Yeah, the, knack. the film Lester made. Uh, the film director Dick Lester between um, Hard Day's Night, the Beatles film, and Help. And help, yeah. yeah. So, so, and it mm. sort of bridges the gap, and it's the film that really, I would say, one of the, one of the films that decisively breaks from your gritty kitchen sink early sixties style. Yeah, yeah. Saturday night, Sunday morning. Yeah. Look back in anger. Taste of honey. No, there's a whole. Yeah, and, there's, and a, whole slew there's of them. a whole. There's a whole. Mostly by Woodfall Films. Um, yeah. But also by Woodfall Films was the Knack. This is one of the key films, perhaps with Tom Jones, also made by the same people. Um, that really the yeah, 60s yeah, yeah. really start swinging and it's definitely the bridge between your sort of still reasonably down to earth hard days night type filmmaking and yeah. your much more wild swinging help type movie well it's it's a little bit more zany isn't it yes and it's a little bit more positive mm. but it does have rita tushingham of course yes it, of course from taste it, of honey you... which sort of bridges that gap as well because she's yeah. in a lot of those kitchen yeah, she's sink, in taste of honey uh, and movies. go with green eyes it, it has uh a young Michael Crawford as well. It does, yes. And of course, as swinging 60s go, you don't get more swingy at this time mm. than the cinema music of John Barry. Of course, And that's yes. at the heart of the knack. And of course, John Barry will, will I'm sure, yeah. appear multiple times in our series. But yeah. he's already appeared in his less <laughs> swinging guys <laughs> as, well, he's as swinging a failing his hips, rock and roller. In, in yeah. uh, Six Past Special. But well, ish. But he's really hit his straps now yeah. at this. Uh, he's done at the several bombings in 1965. Yeah, and Zulu and, and Ip Crespar was the same uh, year, 65. Ip Crespar, yeah, yes, there was tons. He was he was really in a purple patch actually mm. musically at this point, and the knack is no exception. Great, great work on that. Yeah. Brooks does a great role in that, and 
we'll slightly skip over, well, it's nice for me, but Dalek's Invasion Earth 2150 AD, <laughs> uh, the Peter Cushing amicus spin-off from the from Doctor Who series, where he's, uh, Ray Brooks is the boy with the knack, but can he compete against the Daleks in the year 2150 AD? <laughs> so he does that in 66, but also in 66 for television, oh, absolutely. he makes one, one of the seminal de- ones. defining, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or beyond even television and just in, in British culture and the wider yeah. British viewpoint I, I generally is, is Cathy come home for Ken Loach Kathy on the telly. I would say that if you had to get a, a team of luminary TV critics together yeah. and ask them to put the five most important in terms of impact mm. seismic programs that were ever shown on mm. British television, I think Cathy come home would be in that five. And of course, at the heart of it is Ray Brooks and the brilliant, sadly missed Carol White. Oh, the lovely Carol White, yeah. yeah. Battersea Bardo. Yeah, 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 who's superb. Yeah, should have been a bigger star, uh, Carol White, if her demons hadn't gone. Well, but, um, realistically, I mean, the next thing to come to is both Carol White and Ray Brooks should both have been bigger stars. Mm, yeah. Uh, but I think what, what really starts that to be obvious after that so he's just made the knack how to get it mm. and Kathy come home you'd think that Ray Brooks would now go the through the roof the 60s, and yeah. start getting offer after offer of really mm. good strong roles but it didn't happen for no. him no and by the 70s he's sort of I don't know he's yeah. grounded a little bit ends yeah. up playing sort of support roles and carry on yeah, abroad carry on abroad he's in the grungy horror movies of Pete Walker like House of yeah. Whipcord he does a few of them. He actually did, um, talking of music, he actually did, because he wasn't getting any work, he tried his hand at music and, and being a, oh, yeah. a songwriter. And he made quite a, from what I've heard of it, quite a nice album called Lend Me Some of Your Time. And there's a couple of tracks of it on YouTube. And it actually does sound pretty yeah. good. It's better than your average sort of actor vanity project. I'm going to make an album, folks. I've written a few songs. I'm going to make an album. This is actually pretty good. Had he good learned, had he learned to play the guitar by this stage? Yes, he had. Unlike the uh, Terry Dean style guitar playing. Well, I mean, both him and the other protagonists in the but well, not all of them, but mm. certainly David Hemming. David Hemming. In this movie, their rhyming of the well, guitar is definitely, definitely well, from the as, Terry as, Dean as, school. As I, as, I, as I know, apparently um, Edgemont's and Hofner guitars, the, the fretboard didn't actually correspond to the notes that you played on them, so it um, doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think these were Framus guitars. Oh, Framus, which, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think they were Framus. I think we... We did a bit of looking, and they looked yeah. they looked very much like Framus guitars. Quite, yes. Which model we weren't one hundred percent sure, but there was an Egmont based. Egg, that's the Egmont based, based in the white base. Egmont base, yeah, bases, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think a couple of Framus guitars. Well, I wouldn't have liked to have heard the music that was coming. <laughs> that out. was actually being played yeah. in the in, well, in the room. Yeah, going, yeah. 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 So, uh, so I presume he'd learned. I presume he'd learned a bit by then. Yeah. Yes, he had. Uh, but ju- yeah. judging by that album, it's, it's pretty good from what I've heard of it. You can get it from yeah. his website. So, of course, if you're, if you're of a particular age, mm. your first in to Ray Brooks is absolutely unequivocally Mr. Ben. Absolutely, the voice the of voice, the voice of Mr. Ben, Mr. ben King Rollo. Yeah. yeah, yeah, David McKee. Yeah, the David McKee children's animations. Yeah, and he was lovely on that. His voice work was was really excellent. But yeah, yeah it should have should have been bigger. Yeah. He did pull it back, but yeah, it's strange that straight after making two defining 60s moments yeah. his career should go off the boil somehow yeah odd don't yeah i can't Listen. i can't place it but there we go yeah. but he's still very much with us and still yep. still working and still you know 
Like I say, EastEnders fairly recently, and yeah, certainly in we started out in Cor- he started out in Coronation Street. He did, and yes. he sort of finished up in EastEnders. So he topped and tailed his career, yeah, his whole career, with yeah, the about... two with the two massive soap operas in in, <laughs> in Britain. Ended, in but in between, yeah. obviously, in the in this in this part of the sixties is really where he's starting to get some traction, yeah, and really really begins on a journey of some. Top class work. Okay, so let's move on to the next member of the cast, which uh, Annika Wills. Should we look at her now? Yeah, Interesting let's, actress. let's go for Annika Wills. Yeah, who plays uh, Kenneth Moore's daughter Anne, who who, uh, who is romanced by Ray Brooks's character, possibly of the five main leads. I would say she's easily the most sort of natural and easy going on camera. And yeah, she, with she's the, very with the improvised. Mm with the improvised dialogue she's the one that just seems to take to it effortlessly i think as a real magnet understated magnetism to it and just a just a free relaxed natural style to her performance she's helped out quite a lot by the fact that she uses her own accent because she's the posh girl from yes. clifton Clearly which if clifton, you don't know folks is, yeah. is these the uh, well-heeled part of Bristol it's up the hill by uh, yes. near near the suspension bridge and yes. near Clifton Common and all those sort of places yep. it's a it's a very nice little part of Bristol very beautiful so I think that probably helped her in a way because mm. obviously Ray Brooks and accent, David yeah. Hemmings and uh, Angela David Douglas Andrews, who were the, uh, uh, all David the Andrews other ones and, yeah. were not native Bristolians according to Annika Wills on her on her website um they did because uh, she did a lot of publicity for this when it was re-released a couple of years ago um Mm. The whole cast went there three weeks before filming was due to start so that they could sort of absorb the accent yeah, and, yeah. and the lifestyle around here. Whether that involved um, drinking loads <laughs> of cider and, uh, and, and listening to dub reggae, I don't know, but it's not so... Um, they just had to learn how to say Gert Lush. It's like Gert Lush, isn't it? It's, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> from Bristol. But there's a few there's a few yeah. baints and there's a few... Um, uh, that's a good ideal. I think. I think in the first two yeah. minutes you get that's a good ideal. ideal. They do, yeah, ideal. So, but she's not having to do that because she got quite a lot of experience. She'd been going for at least most of the previous decade. She was in a film mm. um, called Child's Play. No relation to the uh, horror film about the no, possessed no, really. <laughs> scary movie. Yeah. Child's Play is a film about. Um, some kids who manage to split the atom, but instead of it turning into Doctor Strange Love, they make popcorn instead. Um, of course, so, why wouldn't you? I mean, so, really. So that that was early on in her career, but she she transitioned into sort of uh, if you can say transition anymore, but she transitioned into more mature <laughs> into more mature roles. As she as she I didn't know that about her. No. <laughs> it's it's Sorry, the best show, showbiz secret, you know. Um, <laughs> but she um, uh, but she moved into more adult parts and and. Um, one of the adult parts she moved into was Anthony Newley. Uh, and she turns up in... Uh, <laughs> they, You'd leave they... Anthony Newley's adult part out of this, would you? <laughs> and she... But she and and um, she turns up in Strange World of Gurney Slade, a, a, a couple of episodes yeah. of that, doesn't she? Which is Newley's yeah. groundbreaking which is, TV series. Which is also a West Country. I mean, Gurney Slade is a, yes. a little-known... Village out in Somerset. It is. So very apt for this. But yeah. uh, folks, if you haven't seen The Strange World of Gurney Slade, mm. do get it. I, I guarantee if you're listening to this podcast, you must be into the, the, the sort of era that we're talking about. Yes. And The Strange World of Gurney Slade is one of the the better pieces of work from that era. Oh, groundbreaking. Very groundbreaking and still unique. Mm. 
and it's a tour de force from Anthony Newley, yes. but it has lots and lots of fabulous vignettes from mm. some other very talented actors as well. Yeah. And the episode uh, with Annika Wills in it is is really good. The third, mm. I think it's the third or second or third one, and it's yes. mainly a two-hander and mainly set on a on a strip of concrete. It is. It's, it's like a sort of strange blasted strip of concrete. It's just the two of yeah, them yeah. sort of romancing each other from afar across this bleak... Yeah. Bleak as though they're in a... Oh, so they're in a dance hall or something. That's right. Anyway, I don't need to say any more than that. It's impossible to explain the strange world of Gurney Slade. Oh. Do see it. It's available widely in DVD. There's my plug for the day. Could you... I don't know whether it's absolutely certain, but it's certainly thought that newly fathered a child with her yeah before. i think it's i think that happened it was and it's relatively relatively soon before he married joan collins so. that's right she has a good career in the meantime but in 66 she became probably the role she's best known as yeah uh, long term is her role as doctor who's companion polly uh yeah. in doctor who, and probably the first real swinging chick companion because prior to that they've yeah. all been sort of grand granddaughter type um, yeah. Uh, this is the first one that this, she was the first companion that was actually a young woman, a fashionable young yeah, yeah. woman from from sixties London, and she straddled two doctors. If that's not too well, impolite, I think. <laughs> well, not in Doctor Who these days. It was <laughs> anything goes apparently. No, but she she straddled William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton. <laughs> So, which is nice work if you can get it, apparently. It's nice. That, that, that probably did for William Hartnell, so that's why... <laughs> no wonder he collapsed at the end of the episode. Yeah, but, um, absolutely. She did a great job in Doctor Who, and she's still involved quite heavily in fandom now. Um, yeah. They've just released... She um, is, isn't she? She does She does a good time. I mean, all the things we've mentioned, mm. the, the big things there, Doctor Who, Strange World of Gurney Slade, and this movie, mm. Some People, she's done the publicity for them yes. when they've been released on DVD or anybody's talking about yes. them. She makes herself available to be interviewed and she she's really very does. amenable. She's she great really does. That. She's really great. Yeah, and, and still a very beautiful woman now. She's still yeah, a very, she is. She's a fine yeah, woman, And yeah. uh, apparently her two volumes of autobiography... Are fascinating reading because she's certainly lived the life. Because she she sort of mm. uh, gave up acting at the end of the sixties. She did things like Strange Report and the Avengers and things um, as as the decade wore on. As did Doctor Ray Who. Brooks, by the way. He did yes. uh, Avengers and Doom Watch. Annika Wills went off to did all sorts. She went off to India. Went off to Canada. I think she drove trucks in Canada or something. Went to an ashram in India. Did all sorts of things. Had a fascinating life. Married Michael Goff. I think she met the same year as some people. Yeah. She married Michael Goff. So we got Angela Douglas marrying the older uh, Kenneth Moore. And then you've yeah. got uh, Annika Wills marrying the older uh, Michael, Michael Goff. Goff. Yeah, yeah, it's about, about the same age difference again. Yeah, Michael I'd Goff would have been in his late forties. Yeah, I'd at, this, at that time he'd have been in his late forties, so yeah. she would have been in her early twenties. So it's yeah. about the same, about the same age difference. Don't know who gave who ideas. Something in the water. It's Bristol, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's Bristol. <laughs> anything, anything goes in Bristol. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's so, not far from Bath. Maybe it's the Bath water. I don't know. There's something in the air. <laughs> Again, face of the 60s um, and a great career. Easily one of the better performances out of a number of good performances in this, I reckon. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of good performances, mm. I'd like to turn to uh, David Andrews. Yes. Because I think he's really good in this. Yeah. And I'd, I'd seen him prior to watching this. Mm. Uh, I had seen him in the Mike Sarn movie, A Place to Go. Yes which is on Talking Pictures TV quite a lot, mm -hmm. and is a decent little film in itself. Mm. And uh, in that, he's definitely a cockney. He's convincing, and obviously with a, a natural sort of London accent. Yes. 
But I think he takes to the Bristol accent really well in this. I, mean, I don't have a Bristol accent myself, and nothing like it. But I, <laughs> I, I hear the Bristol accent all the time, mm. and his did not stand out to me. No, at all in it. I thought he did a really good job of that. No, unnatural. Um, no, I was really impressed with him in this movie, and I think of all of the young cast in it, he's really the only one. The only one who ever carries an element of danger with him. I'm not saying he's no, Marlon Brando, but he does carry an edge. And when he gets a bit sort of disaffected mm. a little bit later and a bit leery, you know, he carries that reasonably well. He'd be, he, he's reasonably convincing in that part. And I thought he did have the edge in the film. So I, I was quite impressed with him. Mm. No, agreed. He's playing the bad boy role in, in the ensemble, but... He he does have a, that natural edge to his performance, and he's got that scrawny, yeah. that scrawny, rangy sort of physique yeah. as well. Especially when you see him in the um, well, in well the I mean, pool they should have all. Scenes. I mean, the swimming pool scene, the swimming pool scene, uh, apart from Angela Douglas, is 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 quite a horrific. Yeah, exactly. The... There's, 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 there's certain people you don't need to see uh, semi-clad, and uh, yes, with the chicken drumsticks Angela. comes to mind. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I did think I'd, I'd have to buy some. Uh, Q-tips at some point, but that's uh, apart from that. <laughs> he's a he's a scrawny sod. He is a scrawny. They all sod. are. Yeah, they all I suppose are. they weren't far off rationing. I suppose so. <laughs> Nobody bulked up yet. But it's, uh... of the young cast, there, mm. David Andrews is the least well known as an actor today. Yeah. So I'm not yeah. saying they're all household names, but. Yeah, out of the five main... The, the, out of the five... Youngsters. You'd come to him last. If you said David Andrews, I think he'd draw a blank with most people. Mm. And, of course, that was because, although prior to this, he'd had a very good career as a mm. stage actor and a television and radio actor, uh, After the shortly after this, he, he decided to go more in the direction side and became did, a very prominent particularly director. TV director in particular, and, he, and especially, yeah. in, uh, especially in soap operas. Yeah, he, uh, he had all the soaps too: uh, EastEnders, Hollyoaks, yeah, and of course Grange Hill in his early years. Oh, of yeah. course, Grange. Yes, absolutely, Grange, Grange Hill. Hill. He was and, a big uh, mover and shaker in Grange Hill. Yeah, yeah. Take the high road, even he did. Uh, hey, hey, Dick Road. Hey. Yeah, EastEnders that we mentioned earlier. It's, it's. Yeah, I mean, basically, if you wanted a soap directed, you went to you, you went to David Andrews, yeah. basically from the actually he, from the seventies. Before he went to. Uh, Whitgift School in Croydon, which is mm. where I went, yeah. he was in Taunton. He was first oh. educated in Taunton. So he did have a small connection. A with little the, West uh, Country. Southwest. Little West Country yeah, maybe, maybe he learned his accent there. But a, a strong performance from him. Yeah, great. Uh, he looked better in his donkey jacket than with it off. Than, than in his um, Speedos. but anyway he play. he does a good turn as Bill Mm. he does a good little turn as Bill and sort of holds the the dramatic tension of the movie where in lesser hands I think it would have completely dissipated into a poof yes a good performance and yeah the the one that could have uh, gone under very quickly yeah so let's move on to the third protagonist in our unholy trio, <laughs> and that is David Edward Leslie Hemmings. That's him. That's the man. He's Johnny's mate who sort of luckily goes down Johnny's route with the Edinburgh Awards scheme and joining the band and, and turning his life around. And, yeah, it gives a good performance here, I think. it's uh, Exuberant. Exuberant, yeah. It's, he's certainly got screen presence, hasn't he? It's maybe maybe yeah, he he's the one... Maybe it's a little bit 
you can hear his Bristol accents a little bit affected more than the others. And I think perhaps... yeah, sometimes sometimes he gets it right, and sometimes there's the odd slip. Yeah, yeah. And perhaps he looks at it comes across a bit more like he's uh, improvising than perhaps sort of David Andrews or Annika Wills or even Ray Brooks do a bit in their dialogue. It's sort of you can hear him trying to improvise a little bit, perhaps, but that's just a nitpick. That really is just a nitpick. Yeah, um, he's not too bad at all. But no. yeah, as you say, that you can see the line, you can see the join sometimes. Yeah, but he's yeah. but he's certainly got screen presence, and he's certainly on his way. We talked about Ray Brooks becoming. You know, why why wasn't he? he despite the fact that he made important stuff uh, by the mid sixties, um, he didn't become the face of the sixties. Whereas Hemmings went on to genuinely become one of the figureheads of, of the swinging 60s, especially through um, yeah, yeah. Antonio Yeah, he was an Blower. icon. He was an icon of the swinging 60s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially... Uh, as you say, Blow Up really sort of sent him there. He'd started as a, a boy soprano. That's right, with Benjamin Britten. In Yule Britain. in Surrey, Allen's school in Yule in Surrey. Well, he, he was actually and... born in Guildford. No, um, I'm from Aldershot, which isn't a million miles away. My dad used to work in Guildford. Yeah, just down the road. Yeah, just, so down the road. So just over the other side of the hog's back. He was one of Britain's children, which is a term yes. for, because without going into it too much here, the, the famous composer Benjamin Britten mm. wrote a lot for young boys. He liked his boy sopranos, 13. didn't he? Yeah, about the age of 13 was his prime, mm. prime boy. There's a book from John Bridcut on it, you know, all about it. Yes. Uh, uh, but... Hemmings was among many to say that he had an unblemished record in that department. Yes. Although he was clearly attracted to the boys, he, mm. uh, by all accounts, or nearly all accounts, never overstepped the mark. But no. he did discard Hemmings rather cruelly. Mm. Hemmings created the role. Would The role uh, in Turn of the Screw was written for him, and he'd okay. been performing it for a number of years. That's a bit cool. And then his voice broke in one of the performances. During and, the performance. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Britain was disgusted. He was furious and he he waved him away and never spoke to him again. Oh, charming. So, so yeah, yeah, not not that great. But anyway, Hemmings recovered and went on to sort of a solid child actor career after that. Yeah. He was in Sync the Bismarck with Kenneth Moore oh, prior to this, in, in, back in 1960. And he was in No Trees in the no Street. No Trees in the Street, that's right. With Melvin, we, yeah. we, we mentioned that when we spoke about um, uh, uh, The Young Ones, didn't we, with Melvin Hayes? With Melvin Hayes, yeah. yeah. And he, he has a tiny role in, uh, we mentioned Play It Cool, that Ray Brooks showed up in. He yeah. had a tiny role in that. Yep. Tiny role in that. But connecting with our series after some people, he um he goes on to appear in the pair of films Live It Up and Be My Guest, which we should be looking at in this very series. Very soon. Yeah, very in, soon. in a few episodes' time. Very soon. And um and yeah, he has quite a key role in well, we'll discuss it um when we come to the episode, but it, more perhaps than the nominal star of the first one. He basically is the is kind of the lead character. In, He's the focal point. Focal yeah. point of those films. Uh, but yeah, Blow Up in 66 was Hemming's real breakthrough role and, and yeah, uh, Antonioni. And, and um, one we may look at in this series, it's got the Yardbirds show up in it. And um, and it's one of the defining swinging movies. Oh, Vanessa Redgrave and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and, uh, oh, and uh, Jane Birkin is in it as well, isn't she? And, um, and Sarah Miles. Yeah. Sarah Miles, of course, yeah. So he went from uh, Blow Up 
through Barbarella, which is another great. Well, he, he was in Camelot actually. He played Mordred. Oh in yes, Lerner and Lowe's Camelot. Of course. Uh, and then, of course, he was Captain Nolan, the first person to die in the Charge of the Light Brigade. Yes, a very famous film. Before being in Barbarella, Sagadella. Yeah, where he has the orb scene. Frankly, gorgeous. Oh, Jane Fonda. God, I, I, yes, there's some. No, I'm not going to make any Fonda no, orbs. It, no, just leave it there. No, no, we, no, know, no, we, no, no, we all know. We, we all know what know. we're thinking. Yeah. We just won't. We won't go any further. But no, it's, none of uh, our none of our trite commentary is required at this point. <laughs> yeah. Alfred the Great is a really good. Oh really yes, good movie. also directed by Clive Donner. At this point, really. You know, he's on top of the world, Hemmings. Mm. End of that's the 60s. What, that's 1969, mm. I think. That's his peak period, really, as an actor. He, yeah. he does stuff. He, he's in Deep Red, the Dario Argento movie in the in yeah. 75, which is a, uh, yeah. one of Argento's key sort of giallo Italian horror films. He's he's in that. Yeah. And Mr. Quilp with, um, with Anthony Newley, around about the same time. I think same year. But he then ventures into directing. And an interesting little musical connection. He directs and stars in in seventy eight in Just a Gigolo, the movie Just a Gigolo. Yes, um, with Kim ah. Novak and David Bowie. And apparently, it's dreadful. Bowie described it, it was such a turkey. Bowie described it as my thirty two Elvis movies all rolled into one. Oh, which, uh, that's which gonna height. That's gonna height. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's where I'm going to take a wide berth from. That's yeah, I don't think that's going to be featuring in our series, but any uh, anytime soon. But um, so he did that. But then he moved to to America and did a lot of telly, like Airwolf and um, Magnum and things like that. And I think he might have directed some of that as well. But he made a comeback in movies shortly before he died. He he was in Gladiator. Uh, again, yes, with, again with yes. Richard Harris. Again with Richard Harris, um, and, and Oliver Reed, of course. And Last Orders. Last Orders, yeah, which I've never seen. It's Last Orders. Very, is very good, no, it's a good movie. Yeah. Really good movie, it's, and it's got everyone in it. Yeah, Michael, Michael Caine, Tom yep. Courtney, Bob Hoskins, yes, Helen Mirren, Ray yep. Winston. Before oh. he became just a gambling advert. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I like David Hemmings in this movie that we're reviewing. The the mm. some people. Mm. Um, and my favourite moment, I. Th- think from there's a couple of moments first of all when they're looking at the uh ladies mags in yes. the in the window oh yeah, yeah. she couldn't uh, fall down flat if she tried yeah and he's and he implores on them to move on because he started feeling a bit funny that's right. so, yeah, yeah walking with a stupor uh, so i like that yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i also like his backing vocals which are absolutely uh they're both, unique uh both sonically unique and rhythmically challenged. Yeah. In all, just beautiful when he's doing the, yes, you did, yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, uh, just marvellous. Absolutely marvellous. I guess that means we all... Uh... That Angela Douglas. Angela Douglas. The lovely Angela Douglas, yeah. We, we mentioned her right at the top of the show in mm. relation to Kenneth Moore. Yes. Uh, but, of course, Angela Douglas is known to most people who like films of this era as the carry-on girl. Mm. You know, she starred in three or four really peak carry-on. I mean, some of my favourite, my favourite carry-on period is mid-60s, and she was in Cowboy, yes. Screaming, Follow That Camel, and Carry On Up the Kyber. Yes. Which really are some of the, uh, some the, of the peak, best. Probably the peak. Um... Cowboy and Screaming and Kyber in particular, 
you know, are hard to beat as as carry on movies. Yes. Uh, they are really at the top, everything at the top of the game, and normally paired opposite someone who's in our series as well, Jim Dale. Yes, yes, the fabulous, fabulous Jim Dale, wonderful Jim Dale. Uh, and they made a brilliant team, the two of them. They they had that sort of on screen chemistry. They 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 looked right as a couple. Yes, Angela Douglas's comedic timing mm. matched with Jim Dale's was just great. Yeah, you... she was she was certainly certainly excellent in those Carry On movies. Yeah, well, but, I vividly uh... remember her as Annie Oakley in um, in Cowboy. And oh um, yes, the is it Annie Oakley? Yeah, and she um, yeah yeah yeah, and she uh, the the scene in the in the hip bath with the gun. Uh, was one of those things oh, yeah, that when yeah. I first saw it as a kid, it was one of those things that made me feel a bit funny and I wasn't quite sure why. It was... <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so... She, she went on to... She was with Jim Dale again in Digby, the biggest dog in the oh, world. Oh, yes, the Debbie the Giant Dog. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, as we mentioned before, she was with Kenneth Moore again in The Comedy Man. So mm. Yeah, because... Uh, yeah. And they met on the set. But she had a good, solid career. Did all the TV, Avengers, Saints, yeah. Ed Cars, Dixon, Doc Green, Jason King. And later, she did the late the soaps, Holby City and all yeah. those sort well, of she, things. Well she, did, well, she retired from acting after Digby because Kenneth Moore had a period of ill health, you know. Um, he did, didn't he, in the 70s, yeah. Yeah, and she, she retired from acting to sort of nurse him um, yeah. and, and concentrate on their marriage. Um, and it was after he passed away in the was it early 80s, he... He left us, yeah. uh, and he yeah. uh, very uh, early eighties. Yeah, it? and she sort of slowly got back into acting. She she was in Doctor Who in eighty nine in Sylvester McCoy's last series. She oh, played she? she played the brigadier brigadier Lethbridge Stewart's wife Doris, of and did, uh, yes. his private life had always been a bit of a mystery prior to that. And she shows up as his as his wife, and they've got a very <laughs> grand. He must have had a hell of a pension because they got a hell of a <laughs> hell of a country seat they're living in, and um, and yeah, she plays that, and she um. And then the nineties, she's in Hamlet, the uh, Kenneth Branagh, Branagh movie, in that. And then she's in Arse End of the Brit Pop era. She's in a not very good movie called This Is Love. Um, oh, right, Jennifer okay. Ely and Dougray Scott and various people, and uh, oh, and Kathy Burke um, and Ian Hart. Um, that doesn't again it's one of those films that doesn't quite work it's all full of the intertwining love lives of a bunch of camden hipsters who all live on barges i seem mm. to remember and oh, yeah. i'll give it i'll give it a miss yeah it? it's it's not really worth it apparently she's in that i don't vividly remember her in it but she's still no. still going still going to this day still going to this day and of course we we, we we'll just recall just for reference yeah that we spotted her in six five special she did didn't she she shows up in one of the um, later scenes in in the main in the, sort in of the tv end studio at the end music uh section yes she's there in in the crowd yeah absolutely she so um, one of her very early appearances yeah yeah she's she was in a tommy the... Steele film it's all happening it's she all is. happening it's all happening with michael medwin Ah, uh, you can't not have Michael Medwin. No, 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 can't absolutely. Not have Michael and Medwin. Bernard Breslau. Yeah, yeah, Sid. Anyway, yes. moving on. Yeah, she's probably got the slightest uh, role. She is it, it, of the it, four, it is of the, the least substantial man. of the roles. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, obviously, she gets the role as the singer in the group, where she's dubbed by Valerie Mountain. Valerie Mountain was from Western yeah. Supermare. That's right. Yeah, and um, who's who's got uh, is and Valerie Mountain's singing voice is. Completely at odds with a world apart, very much at odds with Angela Douglas's speaking voice. She's got this quite high pitched Bristolian accent going on, and then he goes, "Some people." Yes, she is. It makes (laughs) yeah. uh, She makes um. 
Helen Shapiro. Helen, like, she's, it makes Helen Shapiro very... sound like Tiny Tim, you know. It's, yeah. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, she does it. She she mimes her singing very well. I think yeah. you know she does everything that's asked from her. It's not an exceptional performance, uh, mm. and she certainly went on to do better things. Yes, but she does everything. Yeah, it's nice. She's required to do. She's she's fine. Yeah, she's it doesn't good. stick out. Yeah. Yeah. She's good, and she certainly she certainly got a, a lifetime of marriage. She certainly oh, did, okay. yes. So an important film for her on a personal level. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. We'll quickly mention the other two people in the band, because there was mm. Timothy Nightingale as... Well, Timothy was Tim. Tim, And yeah. Frankie Diamond Jr. as Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy the drummer. Uh, and they form... They complete the band, so yes. after... Uh, David Andrews' character Bill decides he's not going to be in the band anymore, and he's going to, you know, tear yeah. around on his motorbike. Yeah, be a rock and roll uh, Timmy takes over on the bass and occasional, occasional uh, pump organ, or organ. Yeah, and Frankie Diamond sorts out the drums. Mm, he does. He's laying it down on the drums. Yeah, Timothy Nightingale. It wouldn't surprise me if it was like a Duke of Edinburgh, you know, complete three tasks and appear in a movie kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks like it. That's not an actor playing a nerd. That's an actual genuine nerd right right there on screen. Oh, That's an actual city. genuine yeah, specky yeah, nerd. He's had his head flushed down the toilets a few times in real life, hasn't he? Uh, but he... Um, <laughs> <laughs> go and see the blue goldfish. And, um, and he... Uh, and I, I've looked at... I've done a bit of detective work, i.e. Oh, Stay right, five minutes looking on the internet. There's not much um, about him. No, and anyway. I found it on IMDb's. He shows up in one other thing, apparently, which is um, an ITV player of the week um, called Question of Happiness in 64. So, sh- shortly after this, with David Langton, who was the original bloke cast at the beginning of Dot Two, and Jacqueline Pierce, who went on to be Serverland in Blake Seven. Um, oh, yeah. You see, yeah. Uh, that's all I can see of him. Jimmy, uh, the drummer, played by Frankie Diamond Jr. Now, Frankie Diamond Jr., he. Um, uh, well, for a start, it's good to have a person of colour in a film of this era, yes. in, a, in a decent yeah. speaking role. In a role. And he convincingly plays the drums, actually. He does, um, yeah. He, he looks he, like he, he carries that play. off. He carries that off pretty well, yeah. Yeah. Again, a little bit of a mystery guy. Towards the end of the decade, towards the end of the 60s, he um, appeared among the cast of Jean-Luc Godard's Sympathy for the Devil movie. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, which is a weird, disjointed, surreal political thing. With, but also includes footage of the Stones putting together um, the song "Sympathy for the Devil." It's also called One Plus One. He's yeah. in that. Um, and then he actually directed the year after in '69. He directed a movie called "Death May Be Your Santa Claus," which has to be well, course, one of the well, best I mean, titled movies. Know. Death may be your Santa Claus. He died to that. I've not. I've not seen it. Have you? No, I've not. I've not. In fact, uh. I didn't know anything more about it except that <laughs> it rang a bell because I vaguely remembered Mott the Hoople on their 1971 oh, yeah. album Brain Capers did a song called Death May Be Your Santa Claus, and I think their producer Guy Stevens was aware of the movie and basically said, this is a great idea for a song, lads. Why don't you, why don't you write it? So um, that's all I know about Frankie Diamond Jr. OK, I don't think we need to say any more about them. They're very minor roles in there. They equip themselves yeah. perfectly. They adequately. do what they do, yeah. They do what they do. But we do have a, a big star player uh, a little further down the cast. This Harry H. Harry H. Corbett. Corbett. Yes. Yeah, the legendary Harry H. Corbett in quite a small role as Johnny's dad. It's an interesting thing, actually, because around about this time, mm. Harry H. Corbett plays a couple of people's dads. So he plays... The dad here, and he plays mm. the dad again in What a Crazy World We're Living In. He does, he does in, indeed, with, yeah. With Joe Brown. 
Freddie and the Dreamers are in there, uh, and Marty Wilde, uh, which again will appear in our Yes, we'll be series. looking at those later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit down the line. And he's a dad again in that, but then within the same time frame, yeah. he's the Lothario, the young Lothario in the Bargee. That's right, a couple of years later. Uh, and other sort of young characters. And, of course, it's this year that Steptoe hits, isn't it? This very month. Yeah. This very month, Steptoe and Sons starts on the telly, where he's playing, like, the probably early 30s, I guess, Harold's meant Yeah, to yeah. But uh, I mean, still relatively young. Yeah, relatively, not, yeah. And he's but certainly, not, not, certainly not a knackered... Because in, in this film, in some people, no. he's playing convincingly playing a knackered middle-aged dad yeah. with a troublesome yeah. teenage son who doesn't understand and can't relate to his son. Yeah. Clearly can't relate from the very yeah. first scene you see, time you see him. And then instead, he's still a youthful person trying to grab some of the youth culture and intellectual culture that's going on. I would say that the only thing lacking for Harry in this particular movie was the accent. He definitely yes. struggled with the with the Bristol accent more than some. I mean, he, yeah. you know. So. I, think, I think of all the actors, yeah. Which is a shame because he, he had a hell of a reputation prior to Steptoe and prior to being coming typed as a comedy yeah. actor. He was genuinely referred to, without any irony, as the British Brando. He was like our yeah. prime exponent of, of, of method. method acting, of the method. Mm. You know, we had all the people in America. He was Britain's prime example of that. And he worked with Joan yeah. Littlewood, had done like groundbreaking stuff with Joan yes, Littlewood absolutely. and uh, yeah. he, he, he appeared as Macbeth at the Bristol Old Vic. So That's right. He was no stranger to Bristol, but yeah. I mean, he uh, he was well thought of, and, and it, I know he probably quite a coup to get him I, in this I, movie. I, probably quite a coup to get him here. Yeah, but the the little scene that Harry H. Corbett has with Ray Brooks at the end of the movie in yeah. the pub is is really poignant yeah. and really just those few moments there at the end and that's all you really see of him apart from he's got he mumbles a bit right at the very beginning where he's sat in his yeah, armchair yeah. in front of the telly looking knackered and then um the only real scene you get of him is in the pub at the end and and it's lovely it's a lovely little touching yeah, scene between scene. him and obviously a, 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 a turning point in the movie and in johnny's story in the in the movie yeah where he no it comes across there. really well he's a good actor i mean yeah. there's just no two ways about it. he's he's just a really good actor and it's a shame he died as young as he did because he probably would have had a second wind or third wind in his career into the 80s had he lived yeah he was only 57 when he died yeah yes no age amazing no age. yeah like, yeah, so the magistrate is talking about the other members of the car. Magistrate is Cyril Luckham, who mo- most famous for playing the White Guardian in Doctor Who in the seventies and eighties, um, and he was um, actually from Salisbury. He mainly sort of played. He, play, uh, he was the ideal sort of casting for judges and sort of patrician figures. But he was a Salisbury boy, so he's a local local lad. Um, and the other um, main person we see here is playing the vicar. Uh, well, because they break yes. into a church, uh, and sort of the the wheels of the story get going when they go into a church and meet Kenneth Moore. Uh, but they're intercepted by the vicar initially, who's played by Michael Gwynn, who um, is most famous as Lord Melbury in uh, in Lord Melbury uh, in Lord the Melbury. very first episode of Forty Towers, the con man Lord Melbury. Yes, um, but yeah, who he, has bricks in his suitcase? That's right. It's just bricks in the way. Yeah, he, but, yeah. and uh, <laughs> he had a really interesting career. He was in. Revenge of Frankenstein. It's not really a music movie at all, but the second Hammer Frankenstein movie, he plays the monster of the story, sort of the main ah. main protagonist of it. He's very good, very effective performance in that. And I just saw him last night um, in an Amicus 
sort of horror movie that slightly ties in with this series called The Deadly Bees. Uh, <laughs> now, it's 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 not one of the most successful movies, um, but it it's it slightly... sounds like an absolute cracker. <laughs> It's um, when we get round in a few episodes time to its trad dad, we'll talk about Amicus in more detail. But they're most famous as a horror house. The only sort of real rival is Hammer. But there was always a scene of pop music in their films to a great extent. And, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And the Deadly Bees, the main character in it, um, the person we see it through is a is a female pop singer. And at the beginning, you see her in a in a TV studio where she comes over all funny. Um, and there's a band playing behind her with a weird scrawny guitarist. And it's uh, the British group, The Birds, with Ronnie Wood, a young Ronnie Wood, Ah, on guitar. And it's about the only, before he went on to bigger things. And I think it's the only bit of decent footage of of the British birds, no relation to the Mr. Tambourine Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. They were flying eight miles high at the time, but they... it's quite interesting for that. It's got Elkie Brooks on the soundtrack as well, a young Elkie oh, Brooks, right, and okay. um, Gosh, and it's young. yeah, it's uh, and Michael Gwynn plays the Doctor that um, sends her to the he island. He was always going to play a Doctor or someone yeah, like that. He's you just know. that sort of person. Yeah, he's also uh, in Catch Us If You Can in a small role. In, yes, uh, which that was the year before. Will appear in this series as well. One, yeah. two, a three, and a four, and a. Think of that kids today have gone astray. Well, they should know cause they're all mixed up too. Some people think of that kids are bad. Well, that's too bad. Cause they don't know the kids the way I do. Maybe they wish that they were cool and looking so young. And that their mama's got a story that will stay unsung. Look around and think about the swinging time to be here And maybe then some people will be glad Let's move on Mm -hmm. to the director, Clive Donner. Yeah, Clive Donner. Yeah, this is sort of reasonably early on in his in his career. This film is entirely shot on location. There is not one scene yeah. in this movie that they've done a studio set or anything like that, or on a soundstage. The entire movie, yeah. from start to finish, is shot entirely on location in Bristol. And yeah. it's a brave move to uh, to to step out and do that and film it in Eastman colour as well. And we talk about cinema. Uh, particularly later, but... some of the some of the areas that they film and some of the the, the locations are not easy locations. No, no, Bedminster and stuff. To get, yeah, to get to get the uh, the the sound and well, mm. I mean, because they're using natural sound. They're using natural sound. There's no overdub because fields, of, because of the improvised and open garden. air. Quite a lot of open air shots. It, mm. It's not the easiest. Yeah, no, it's it's very difficult. And he handles it with real aplomb. And there's some really good camera angles and just coaxing those performances out of his young cast. Actually, we're dealing with a big star like like Kenneth Moore as well, without yeah. seemingly being over overawed by it, and getting a great performance out of a quite a young cast. He does really yeah. well. He does really well. Does so he's he? about at this point, he's he's in his. Mid late thirties, yeah. So and he's obviously trying to make a name for himself, and he yeah. certainly makes a lot of brave decisions. I think in some people, as we say, yeah, they've gone for a lavish look. They've gone for location shooting. They've gone for improvised dialogue mm. a lot. Mm. Uh, there's quite quite a few 
sort of risks yeah, in so there. Yeah, so quite a few, quite a few things that could have gone wrong. He crossed paths with Kenneth Moore before, actually. We mentioned Genevieve. And oh, he yes, began yes, as an yes. editor in the film industry, and he'd edited Genevieve. As so many of them did, yeah. Yeah, that was his, that was his way. He did Scrooge, he edited Scrooge before that, the um, Alistair Sim. Ah, yes, um, they're considered by many aficionados to be the best of the Scrooge. Not my Does son's, your son? Actually. No, your Not son my doesn't? son's favourite. No, no, he likes it well enough, but oh, it's good. not his favourite one anyway, you know. Oh, well, there we go. Um, he, and so he did those, and that he, he gets into directing, and he does, uh, works with Donald Pleasance in Heart of a Child, 58. But then he does uh, Caretaker, the Harold Pinter well, Caretaker. Well, that's his big breakthrough, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. That, that's, yeah, that's the one that really cements it. Uh, and that was the year yeah. after this. Um, and that's and one you'd have defining, to say that, that, that some people must have done well enough. And financially, it, yeah. it, it made its money. It, it did, did well. It washed its face. Uh, yeah. Polished its winkle. And because. I guess the Caretaker, he got that off the back of it. Mm. At imagine. least in part. At least I'll, in part. I'd imagine. Yeah, because it's got uh, Donald Pleasance, who we'd already worked with, Alan, Alan Bates. Bates, and Robert Shaw, the great yeah. Robert Shaw. And it was, uh, and Robert Shaw showed up uh, in the birthday party later. Yeah, another Pinter, thing later. Yeah, in, later a later. very unsettling film. Isn't yeah. It? yeah, and yeah. Nicholas Roeg again. Yeah, Nicholas yeah. Roeg did the photography, and the music was done by Ron Grainer. Ron Grainer, you who see? we're just about to come to. Yeah, all yeah, yeah. ties in. Uh, so he does a great job on that, and then, but then probably his most. Fame, arguably his most famous movie as a director was a year or two later. He did. Uh, he directed What's New Pussycat, and we're talking What's about swinging. New pussycat? Pussycat. Whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa! Oh, I, f- I feel like I'm wearing leather trousers already. It's, oh dear, uh, it's, uh, okay. leather lungs. Um, you need someone to throw some knickers at you now. I always uh, need someone know. to throw it's knickers not, at me. It, it's not going to be me. No, no. <laughs> Too far away at the uh, moment. <laughs> main, mainly because I'm in a different in a different room and in a different house. Yeah, we're, we're recording corona, this in Corona, corona Brit, coronavirus corona. Britain at the moment. We're uh, yes, yeah, so uh, yeah. yes, we're recording this. How is it in the future, by the way, folks? Uh, are we all still here? <laughs> are we all still here? Let's hope we are. And flying around on jetpacks. Safe. Is it safe? Is it safe? Is it safe? Oh, I've got toothache already. Um, <laughs> so, let's hope that's not the corona. Um, so yeah. Um, but he, yeah, what's new, Pussycat? And uh, with Peter yeah. Sellers and Peter, Woody Allen, and, of course, and we yeah. talk about like this: that some people being pre-swinging sixties. This is absolutely swinging sixties, swinging sixties. And uh, and the first movie made um, based on a Woody Allen script, and Woody Allen appears yeah. in it. And it was because yes. Woody Allen wasn't happy with uh, the way Clive Donner had transferred his script to the screen <laughs> that yeah. he vowed that he, from that point, would direct his own work. So we kind so of got Clive, Clive Donner. Donner yeah, Clive thank. Donner gave us gave us Woody Allen's canon career. of movies. Yeah, so Here we go around the Mulberry Bush. That yeah, was the same sort of time with yeah. the theme tune by Traffic, hit single by Traffic with yeah. Steve Winwood. Yeah, wow. Spencer Davis was on that as well. Yeah, Spencer Davis group. Are they in it as well? Both. Yeah, yeah. Oh, because actually that that reminds me. Now I'm going to put a shout out here. Uh, I'm going to slip in a shout out. There's a film on our list that I cannot find for love or money. And I've tried both. Um, and that is um, a movie called The Ghost Goes Gear, right, from about 66. Oh, yeah. um, and it's Spencer Davis Group, Acabilk, and Nicholas Parsons. All in the, 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 the recently what deceased. A, what, a, what a trio there. <laughs> that, that is a lineup, isn't it? And yeah. uh, in, the, in their own movie. And it, is, it, is, it seems like it's uber rare. I can't find it. On any legitimate like uh, format, or even illegitimate, and um, apparently it's dreadful. 
but I just want to be able to lay my hands on it and say I've seen it. And well, maybe with the title like the Ghost Goes Gear, you know, the, yeah. it, it's a one-way ticket. <laughs> it certainly it's is. To, to, to pain. So, so um, yeah, anyone, anyone... It won't be can... the Cuckoo Patrol, though. It won't be Cuckoo it Patrol. Won't, well, I don't know. Well, it could be. Or will it be Gonks Go Beat level? Oh. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's around that level, though, from what I've heard. Oh, dear. Um, anyway, so, yeah, anyone who can point us in the direction of uh, the Ghost Go Gear would be very much appreciated. You'll have our undying thanks. Not much else, but you'll have yes. our undying thanks. Um, so, yeah, here we go around the moment. Barry Evans and, and, and Angela Pleasance is in that. Donald Pleasance is in that. Yes. Yeah. Um, as, yeah, as well as Christopher Tim, Christopher Timothy, Timothy, yes, without well, his hands up a cow. Then after that, he dealt himself with the great in '69 with David Hemmings again. With so he David Hemmings, yeah. With David Hemmings. yeah. yeah. Oh, Clive Donnery, he's not with us anymore. Died no. in 2010. Yeah, uh, but he, it's in a short. I think it's a good. He does a good job. You don't feel anything's amiss. Then we've had a couple of films in the last couple of episodes where the direction perhaps yes, hasn't been where has, the direction been was so very much phoned in. Yeah. And yeah. that is very much not the case here. It's an assured, no. controlled piece of direction here. So should we so, move on to the writer? Yeah, John Eldridge. Again, I don't know how this film was written. Uh, I think this is his last film. He died, he died the year, I think the very month this came out. Yeah, it's, it's right at the tail end, isn't it, for yeah. him? And I, yeah. I, I don't know how he wrote with the improvised dialogue. I, I, I'm not a filmmaker. I, I don't know how people put movies like this together, if they've got guidelines or basic dialogue or what. But he came up with the story and the shape of it. I presume they were told that it was um, Duke of Edinburgh Awards <laughs> to, to fight. And, to, and um, it's you're kind of just standard teen-type movie of you know, a bunch of tearaways who eventually sort their lives out and maybe one of them doesn't and maybe it's a bit ambiguous but it's a standard sort of story isn't it it's not, he's not breaking any real no he's not breaking uh, yeah, any mould you know, I mean he had I quite a good period there he, he wrote the screenplay for Pool of London yeah Basil that's Deer an important film with Basil Deer the first that features the first interracial relationship um, yeah. in, a, in a British movie very important yeah. movie. Great cast yeah. as well with Earl Cameron, who's still with us at the time of recording. Yeah, 103 absolutely. years old. He was also in Sapphire. He later was like, also Patrick. for Basil Deedon. Also for also Basil Deedon. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and he does The Smallest Show on Earth. Very yeah, good. that's a nice... Also for Basil Deedon. Yeah. Another nice Basil Deedon. One out with of the Peter clouds Sellers. in 1955. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he does Operation Amsterdam, which was a successful war movie. Yeah. Uh, so he's quite a good... Quite a good period he was in there, and then of course because yeah, well, well he, he he gone from from being a director to being a writer, uh, yeah. and because he directed a few movies prior to that, and including Brandy for the Parson in fifty two, which had, ah, which, which had Kenneth a young Moore. Kenneth Moore, yeah, yeah, or younger anyway. Yeah. He was never really young, but he yeah. was younger. No, well, he was he actually did look a bit like yeah. a stripling in that. Actually, he does, yeah. yeah, yeah, and 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 also, um, uh, and Brandy for the Parson was co written as a connection. By Alfred Shaughnessy, who directed Six Five ah, Special, he so did it all ties together. He did, uh, but uh, we found, yeah, he was he was better as a screenwriter than he was as a director. Absolutely, uh, and that was his real career. I think we agreed that. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so John Eldridge, decent, decent little career. I think that uh, the next port of call should be the great Ron Grainer. Yes, the great Ron Grainer. He does a good score here in cahoots with Les Van Dyke, aka. Ah. Uh, Johnny Worth. Johnny Worth, who wrote, presumably wrote the title song. It sounds like one of his. But Yes, it is. Yeah. Some people, yeah. The title song, which we've already said was actually a hit, a minor hit, 
but a hit nonetheless for Carol Dean, Dean yeah, who, who saw... was the singer that appeared with Acker Bilk in, in a it, scene in, Band in of Thieves. Uh, The Band of Thieves. Yeah, so Johnny Worth is the king of the pop and roll sound. Yeah, so he did, yeah, he did everyone Faith. like Adam Faith and uh, uh, Eden Kane and all that sort of stuff. He was uh, yeah. he, he was the king of that sort of light. Forget me not. Yeah, forget me not. Yeah, and um, but Call he's. Me. But he wrote, I presume he had a hand in the in the pop songs here, but the bulk of the soundtrack is written by uh, Ron Grainer, and, and a good job. And Grainer remains most famous as a TV theme writer. He does. He was um, the king of the TV themes. He really in the was, 60s. so about 15, 20 years. And he, he'd just done May Gray. May Gray was his big breakthrough, wasn't mm. it? I mean, he, but, I mean, get this. This is just hit after hit with him. The same year as this, he wrote the theme tune to That Was The Week That Was. Yeah, that great, was the great week stuff. that was at Millicent Martin. Uh, it's over, let it go. And they stepped home and son again the same the same yeah. month as this. Outcome stepped home and, and with son. Harry H. Corbett. Yeah, yeah. Harry with, and with Wilfred Bramble, who's in a hard day's night. We'll be seeing him later on. Yes, indeed. Uh, he did the Man in a Suitcase, which um, children yeah. of the '90s <clears throat> will know as uh, the theme yeah, tune Chris to Evans. the theme tune to Chris Evans' TFI Friday. Yeah. He did the Prisoner. The very oh, famous theme tune to the prisoner. Yeah. That is a yeah, the dynamic theme to that. Tells the unexpected. The oh, that's a great theme. Yeah. It just makes me want to dance with my arms. Makes me want to set fire to something and dance. And um yeah. and uh, Shelley and all sorts loads and loads of Probably to Sir with Love in the in the cinema as well. Yeah, he did. And Mouse on the Moon, Hoffman in seventy, he he made Peter Sellers weird. Good movie, but with Peter Sellers. Yeah. Seventy one he's Omega Man. He went to Hollywood and did Omega Man. Oh wow. Charlton Heston movie. Good movie there. Yeah. Lock up your daughters. Kind of loving. Yeah. So mostly in telly, but some some good films. But probably the you're the saving two... the best till last. Aren't I you? am saving yeah. the best till. You know where I'm going with this. Um, I know where you're going. The uh, the theme tune that he is absolutely defined by, and that the tune that is still familiar as anything to generation after generation. Now he did, of course, write in '63. Wrote the theme tune to Doctor Who. He wrote he the did. Doctor Who theme. In tandem with, uh, with Delia, Delia Derbyshire, the electronic Who pioneer. has a connection to Anthony Newley. She does, yes. Because she collaborated with him in a very strange piece of music, which I urge you to look up, <laughs> uh, called the Moogies Blues. <laughs> I got the Moogies, the dreaded Blues. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a very strange uh, and yeah. wonderful. I think she was quite taken excerpt, aback by yeah. the lyrics that he wrote to her. Yeah, <laughs> to her experimental song. Yeah, <laughs> she was probably thinking more science fiction, and yeah, he came <laughs> he was in with a flash of a flash of song. <laughs> yeah, uh, not yeah. not not running to type at all with Mister Newley. Yeah. No, not at all. Right, but uh, but uh, but but Grainer, um, the the actual music because we see uh, David Hemmings and Ray Brooks et al. performing the music, but it's actually yeah. played by a Bristolian group we don't see called the Eagles. The Eagles. No relation, mm. incidentally, to the Californian soft rockers of the None 70s. None whatsoever. But, they have um, nothing in common with them. But they were actually discovered by Ron Grainer himself. He saw them and threw uh, the Duke of Edinburgh Award. They won the Duke of Edinburgh Award. Get this. The Duke of Edinburgh Rhythm Group of the Year final at oh, the Festival Hall in 62. Um, I could just see that on a Pathé newsreel, yeah. Yes, and, and winning the Duke of Edinburgh. Look at these young tykes. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't forget to tune your guitars, boys. 
Maybe you'll yeah. save, save money for a making, haircut. Making some music that almost sounds real. <laughs> That's right. Just and like real musicians. Just almost like real musicians, yes. Yeah. Um, and that, he sort of took them under his wing and sort of became their sort of, I think he wanted to be their George Martin or their sort of, they made sort of quite a few singles, quite a few recordings, sometimes with reworkings of Grainer's own music. Get his own TV themes and things. Yeah, and like they, May Gray, he yeah. did, yeah. And they mm. sort of switched when the Beatles happened. You can hear they made a switch from sort of the shadowsy music that we they're playing yeah. in this movie yeah, to yeah. sort of more sort of bigger. Shadows, they do. Ventures, yeah. Yeah, it's very much in that era here. And But they're literally the next year, they're doing a beat group version of, get this, the floral dance. Oh, my mm-hmm. giddy aunt. Yep, the, oh the very song That's that Wogan... definitely not putting on the ...wrenched turntable. into the charts later in the 70s, yeah. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Yeah, they never really had a major hit, but there's they a version of Wishing and Hope in the Baccarat and David song. Right, the Baccarat and David, yeah. But yeah, that was the yeah. year they split up. They, yeah. They toured with Del Shannon, Stevie Wonder... That's right, Dionne Warwick. Dionne Warwick. Yeah, they so, were all, t- all together, yeah. They, that's not they bad. They rubbed shoulders that's not with bad. some... Rubbed shoulders the UK. with Toured the UK with them, yeah. So, they, they, yeah, they... They did all right, and they heard but not seen in this movie. Heard but not seen. I don't know what they yeah. felt about that. And I know the various members stayed on the Bristol music scene. I don't think I've ever come across any of them personally, but that's them. Yeah, fair play. Fair play. The music could have been more thrusty. Yes. It's fine as it goes, but <laughs> it's instructive that when Michael Gwynn comes in and the organ is being played in his big cathedral... Yes, by Ray Brooks's character, and he's rocking out. He's actually rocking out to a Gilbert and Sullivan song from <laughs> The Omen of the Guard. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I have a song to sing. Oh, that's the song. Yeah. Uh, which is not exactly Jerry Lee Lewis. It's not quite, uh, no. <laughs> you know, it's more Mrs. Mills than Jerry Lee Lewis. It certainly is, uh, isn't it? I, I would say. We've got John Wilcox, the cinematographer. Yes. Talking of the Eastman colour shots and the entirely location filming. Yeah. So hell, yeah, yeah. so basically a key figure in that is John Wilcox. Yeah. Who does a brilliant, I think he does an excellent job. It's a really beautiful looking movie. Um, and as I said before, it renders fantastically well. Yeah. And I, when, now, I first heard, you know. when I first heard about this movie, I, I assumed it was in black and white. I would assume it would have been yeah. in black and white. But no, it's full colour and beautiful. It must, he, have been, it must have been because it was the Duke of Edinburgh, you know. Yeah, exactly. Bloody black and white stuff. Yes. And, uh, well, it's worth it's worth saying, Duke of Edinburgh wise, that obviously this was a, a big initiative yes. at this time, and it was at a time certainly, if uh, if you to believe the reports and uh, portrayals in in the Crown yeah. the television series, that mm. Prince Philip is desperately looking to you know get his hands on on something, get his role within yeah, the, yeah, the cement court, his role, within the, yeah, the, yeah as absolutely. consort and. Yeah, uh, uh, give him something that's his and his alone, and and the Duke of Edinburgh with its ethos would have been right up his draft. Yeah, the Duke because it was there to sort of, it was sort of based on some ideas of the person who founded Gordonston School. Ah, Gordonston School, where men were men and boys were scared. Yeah, well, uh, yes, very much that sort of environment. And yeah. he, um, well, he enjoyed Gordonston, and of course. Uh, Prince Charles very much did not. He did not, no. no. But uh, but yes, it, it was based on sort of Gordonston principles. Uh, and because mm. the bloke who founded it was worried about the way the youth were going. And so he, he sort of came up with these initiatives to, that would turn them into fine, upstanding gentlemen. Because it was only oh. boys initially. Well, yes. Oh, oh, oh. The Birch Twigs. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> Thank you, sir. May I have another? Yeah. He, um, a bloke called John Hunt, who 
led the first uh, the Hillary Intensing Everest right. expedition, uh, was the pioneer of it, and the Duke of Edinburgh put his you know put his stamp. weight behind it, put his stamp his on it, seal, yeah, considerable wax seal. Yes, well, that's just his forehead, and he. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's the Duke of Edinburgh Awards, and um, yeah, and, and it's still going now. It's, it was trying to be a bit different to sort of your Cubs and your uh, Boys Brigade and all that all that more militaristic type. Thing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, we're, we're so talking so, about John Wilcox anyway. He had a really good career. Yeah, I mean, he'd already done Cockshell Heroes and The Mouse That Roared, and then he, he really gets stuck into the stuff that we're the films that we're talking about here. He does Expresso Bongo in '59. He shoots that. Uh, yeah, only two can play. And then in '63, the year after this, he does Summer Holiday. Cliff Richard Summer yes, Holiday, a follow up, of course, to The Young Ones, which we've that's we've, right, which we've, we've already done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he um, does a. Not music movies, but he does a, a bunch of films for Amicus and Hammer, including The Skull, which is an excellent movie for Amicus. The Skull. And, and also, for me, he shoots um, in 66, and tying back into Ray Brooks, he shoots yeah. Dalek Invasion Earth 2150 AD for Amicus. <laughs> yes, we've mentioned that earlier in this very show. We did. And, and uh, the odd, The Last Valley, which is a very odd yeah, movie. Yeah, odd movie with, uh, with Michael <laughs> Less Caine. Less than the sum of its parts. Yeah, Omar Sharif. It, um, Sharif and uh, briefly Brian Blessed. Yes, at the beginning he's uh, yeah. It's, it's not doesn't quite work, does it? It's it's yes. It, uh, Brian Blessed, if I remember, buys it in a quite a gruesome. Yeah, my dad. I remember my dad telling me about it years before, and I thought it'd be yeah. the climax to the whole movie. It's not the beginning where he gets a spiked German helmet where he doesn't want it, and uh, yeah. <laughs> he gets the. <laughs> Um, and he does Steptoe and Son film. Yeah, with Harry H. Corbett again with Harry H. Corbett and. Uh, Wilfred Bramble. So, yes, no. John Wilcox. Uh, but talking of cinematography, though, he's not credited. We've mentioned him before in in this very podcast, and we've come across him before last episode. He's not mentioned anywhere on the credits. I can't find his name in any anything online or in any book. But according to Annika Wills, um, as part of the second unit crew, uh, was none other than Nick Roig. He was oh, on board okay. with this movie in, in this second film? unit, yeah, right. pre- presumably handling the cinematography for the second unit crew. Uh, here, yeah, he was there. According to Annika Will, she vividly remembers because there's a scene in um, in when they're in Filton Airfield, they're doing the supersonic test flight. There. The Bristol One Eight Eight, yeah, and yeah. it was known as uh, what was it called? The anyway, flaming it pencil, yeah, it's it's known as the flaming. Where's pencil. the flaming pencil? We, um, yeah. we uh, anyway, Bri- but so it's the Bristol One Eight Eight, yeah, uh, and of course Filton was where they developed the British side of of Concord. Which that's followed, right, but it's the, what, what know, it was the, soon afterwards. Yeah, the One Eight Eight was some of the innovations in that went into yeah, went yeah, on to a, uh, be put into Concord, a, a forerunner to uh, to the, to the Concord. Yeah, but Annika Wills remembers. Uh, them all being taken up there to witness this flight, and Nick Rorick was standing mm. with him on a on a platform. I don't know if he was like shooting it mm. or or what, but he um, he could well have been. Uh, but yeah, he was. It's apparent- typical. It's typical of this movie mm. that they had such an extensive scene mm. for the test flight. There, it's sort of the patchwork of this movie. Yeah. They had nothing whatsoever to do with the plot. <laughs> Absolutely nothing, nothing at all. Didn't advance it one iota, <laughs> but it gave uh, Kenneth Moore a little opportunity to. To yeah. show his natural, yeah, in his uh, natural habitat, natural 
in his natural habitat yeah. and it just wanted to showcase this this plane you know it's it's quite odd really when you think about it that yeah. that should I mean sort of no, what other happen. films break off to see uh, one of the supporting characters go to work go to work apart from him I talking mean, quite... to Tim the bass player and saying you come to the choir tonight <laughs> it's, um... I quite enjoy I quite enjoyed it actually yeah it's scene, a nice little it's, it's absolutely bonkers mm. It's a Bristol travelogue, the movie. It really is. Yeah. Um, so that's the cinematography. And, yeah, Nick Rowig on board, apparently, and uh, all the better for it. That pretty much covers yeah. off everybody in there. It probably would just do for, for the... If you're not uh, interested in the Bristol side of things, look mm. away now. But it would be worth talking a little bit about some of the locations. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The so very... there were myriad, I mean, there were so many locations right across Bristol. Sorry. In central Bristol, a lot of it in north Bristol, but there are many other areas covered. It goes away. Not always geographically correct, whether we go from one place no. to the other. But, no, but, no, no. I mean, the very they, first... They walk down the road from, from one place, yeah. which is miles From Lockleys to Clifton, don't they, in yeah, about yeah, two yeah. seconds flat. Yeah, and absolutely. It's a, and... Uh, because the very first shot we see, the panoramic shot, is looking over the back of Bristol City Hall, which is still the council offices yeah. today. And yeah. um, and there's College Green in front of it, which uh, those yeah. of, uh, those who watched the series Skins would be familiar with that because they often hung out. The kids there, yeah, often... Narrow Key, Broad Key, all those places. Yeah, yeah. Where, where they're yeah. doing the game of chicken, the the yeah, where they have their bike accident at the beginning. Yeah. That's the portway, which uh, at the it time is. was that links Avonmouth docks to Bristol City Centre along the Avon Gorge. And that, uh, when it was built in 1926, it was the most extensive road project in Britain and cost today's equivalent of 47 million quid. What would today wow. be worth 47 million quid? 800,000 quid it was then. But in 1927, that was 1926, 27, that was um, a fortune. Um, a lot of money, yeah. Yeah, still in operation today under Clifton Suspension Bridge. And you see the old Bristol bus station, which has yeah. since been demolished. And, and I remember used to go up to the Ashton Court Festival from there. I used to trek over to Bristol and we'd get the bus up there. And it was a shithole then. And it looked like it was it was absolutely a shithole in the 60s, if this film's anything yeah, to go yeah, by. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, they've upgraded it since. So. Yeah, they have. They've, they, it's a lot smarter now. And although yeah. bus stations always depress in places, it doesn't matter how smart they're trying. Yeah, they are. They're always they are. Full yeah. of lost souls and lost faces. luggage, as Doctor yeah. Who once said. They're and on the Clifton Downs. They get the water tower. Oh, the water tower. Yeah, the famous road, yeah. yeah, And Durham Down. Yeah. Yeah. They go along um, Christmas Steps where they're mucking about and going Larry yeah, and mucking about the bookshop and, and yeah, the restaurants. They, they're messing about with the shopkeeper, don't they? Yeah. On, on That's the, the Christmas, Christmas steps, which is just between um, the Colston Hall area and yeah. just where the old fire station was by PMT Music, where I go and ogle, well, we all oh, go and ogle oh, guitars. No. No, and neither of us are allowed to PMT Music. Neither of us are allowed to go there anymore because we spend money no, uh, that we haven't yeah. got. And the church they're cornered in... Um, was oh, brand yes. new at the time. Yeah, Ma- yeah. Mary, that was in Lockleys. It was St. Mary Magdalene with St. Francis, the snappily titled St. Mary Magdalene with St. Francis. Oh, what a title. Church in, in Lockleys, newly built out of concrete in 1956 in a brutalist style, and sadly was demolished in 1996 oh. uh, because it had concrete cancer. So the concrete oh, didn't well. really suit it, sadly, which is a shame because it was, you know, it was a brand new building then, obviously built. Yeah, thought. substantial. Yeah. yeah, they're also in Lockley's Parish Hall. That's right. That's where the youth for club the is. youth centre, and that's the, still there. The, I believe. the youth centre. 
I believe that building is still yeah, there. Yeah, well, that was one of the buildings that nerds as we are that we said if we were going to do a, a little some people uh, Bristol tour, that was one of the buildings. I think we we know exactly where to find that. Yeah, absolutely. If if we're let out again after coronavirus, we'll be uh, we'll yes. Be doing that. Um, yeah. And then obviously they go to Filton. They do go to Filton. The, yes, absolutely for the uh, for the for the test flight. It's the El Toro Coffee Bar, which is um, on Queen's Road, which is at the top of Park Street. Um, I think it's now a branch of Wilkinson's, if the internet is anything to uh, to go by. But I know yeah. that street well. They go to the Bristol Old Vic. And yes. I did a bit of detective work. They sing a play called The City in Dark, which had uh, Paul Eddington in it, a young Paul Eddington. So they've just been seeing oh, Paul Eddington right, destroying okay. stuff. Whether he's living the good yeah, life then, I don't know. And huh. the, the swimming pool is, is Kings with Leisure Centre. That's correct. Staple Hill, which I is believe that's still over there. the other side of town. That's right, yeah. yeah. I believe that's still there. Yeah. Uh, the football field is in the grounds of the what was then the Fry's factory, which became the Cadbury's factory in Canesham, which is nearby. Not actually in Bristol, and, then, and then got massacred by Kraft, oh, the American God, company, yeah. that took it over. Promised to keep the Cadbury factory going, and then shut it down immediately. And then they've desiccated yeah, the building. It's flats, uh, yeah. Yeah. oh dear, nice. it's a shame. Nice what people done at Kraft, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Kraft. Uh, yeah, crafty bastards. Kraft. Um, uh, they they go to Royal York Crescent, Clifton. That's right, they do. The workshop where David Hemmings is building the canoe is actually in the grounds of the chocolate factory in in Canesham, the oh, the, right, the yeah. Fry's chocolate factory. Um, yeah, because uh, you can just about see the Fry's logo out the window. So it's uh, it's <laughs> they, they obviously did both both bits at the same bit. That's in Canesham, and the pub at the end though, where um, Ray Brooks oh, meets Harry H. Corbett. Heart heart. Yeah, yeah, that's in Old Market. Um, which is about half a mile away from from Temple Meads as you're going into town, uh, Old Market yeah. Street, um, and that's the the Palace Hotel, um, which in ye- recent years has been a gay pub called the Gin Palace, Ooh, popular gay venue. That's right, and it was built yeah. because apparently they thought that <laughs> that Temple Meads was going to be built half a half a mile north of where it was. <laughs> So they built the pub thinking they'd have loads of passing trade and then didn't. Such a disappointment. Such a disappointment for a young pub. And um and that's the uh and that's still there. I don't know if the pub is still going, but if it is, we must pop in and have a have a wee drink at. They go to lots of other places. Too many to mention. Yeah, we shall we shall mention all, uh, all, all sorts of other guys. Okay. Uh any other business on this? Um, let's have a look. Should we do our business anywhere else? I think that's all my notes. I think uh in summation, yes. this is not going to be to everybody's tastes. And before we sign off, we must just say some people are going, what the hell is this movie doing in your series anyway? Oh, yes. There are no there are no name pop groups. Mm-hmm. There are no artists that are being featured on this no. uh, uh, for promotional reasons. No. This is slightly off piste for our series. But yes. I think we justify it in the fact that it's definitely dealing with the sort of youth culture that is at the heart of our piece here. Absolutely. It does feature pop music as its central uh, plot device. Yeah, it's his thrust, yeah. It's what saves the youngsters, uh, and it, really. And it? It is, and it is the birthing pool for quite a lot of swinging 60s icons. Yeah, a lot of people really, who are faces the, of the 60s. The, yeah, absolutely. And, in, and I think we justify it if you don't tough... There you go. You've been listening to us in <laughs> vain. It's if our, that is it's the case. A, but it's our podcast, so we choose the films. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. So that's that's some people for you, folks. That's, that's some, some people. people. So next time, 
We've a, got a we've got a, a double, double bill, from bill the 50s. for you. For, yeah, and we're going yeah. way back to the beginning of British yeah, yeah. rock and roll, where we have what is alleged to be the very first British rock and roll movie ever made, and how rock and yes. roll this is, we'll find out when we uh, when we assess it. Yeah. Uh, which is Rock You Sinners from nineteen fifty seven, and then we're jumping forward one year later. To another ensemble cast, but led by uh, one of the many attempts at a British Elvis, which is Terry Dean. Oh, we're going to The original Idol on Parade. He definitely taught these guys how to uh, play the guitar. He certainly did. The so Terry Dean guitar method. The, the Terry Dean method. Yep. We should, we'll, we should be doing we'll lessons see it in the next in yep. the next movie. Rock You Sinners and the Golden Disc would be our double bill yep. coming up next time. Wonderful. So, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Some people will be back again with Rock You Sinners <laughs> and the Golden Disc yes. Double Bill. But until then, I've been Matt Bragg. And I'm still Gavin Lazarus. And join us next time for another edition of... Britpop Movies of a Certain Age! Walked out and you didn't give a hang. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You treated my love like a boomerang. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You greased up and blew up the whole shebang. Now you really think you ought to understand. You've done it before. You can do it again. Gave me the glad item, took it back. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You knew I was sad, so you dressed in black. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Why, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Well, I've had a stretch on the torture rack. Now you think I'm being honored to take you back. You've done it before. You can't. Keep pretending I've got you in my blood That's true They're staying here It looks like the end And I hate you I need you I love you You locked up my heart And you took the key Yes you did Yes you did Yes you did You made me a fool For the world I Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Oh, yes, you did. Yes, you did. You thought I was part of your history. Now you want to turn the pages back to me. You've done it before. You can do it again. You can do it again. You can do it again.
perhaps have we died perhaps and we're locked in purgatory of having to uh, play this song over and over and over, over Covid got us we just didn't notice <laughs> we died of boredom and frustration three takes in and we're just locked in the afterlife playing it over and over and over again what did I do that was so bad <laughs> please let me out <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Oh, <sighs> Some people take seven hundred and fifty-one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. ah. One, two, I want to.